All right, ladies, I am so thrilled to be here with you all. Um, I knew a month ago that I was going to get to just talk and share and speak with you all, and I've been praying for you that long. So I'm feeling just really emotional and encouraged by God's love for you and by how we get to build each other up this morning. So I'm going to pray. Father God, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. We worship you. We glorify you. We lift your name high. God, I just beg that this morning you will see the hearts of these women, and God, that you will meet us right where we are. I pray, Father, that we would walk out of here stirred up, knowing that your grace is sufficient to fulfill the calling you have put before us, to be godly wives and godly mothers. Father, I just pray that you would overtake my tongue, and Lord, that you would speak the words that are needed and necessary to the hearts of the women here. Lord, um, have your way in us. Have your way through us. May you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I will be honest, I always desired to be a mom. Um, I loved playing with kids. I loved babysitting. I loved my own mom. So it was like, yeah, sure. This is like, I'm meant for this, right? And then I had children. And they cause you to doubt everything. And uh, just the other night, we were sitting down for dinner, and one of my daughters offered to pray. And this was her prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this food that I am, um, no offense, mommy, 100% sure none of us kids are going to like. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not really sure God was honored by that prayer. Um, but if being a, a good mom means cooking food that your children like all the time, I'm an utter failure. But fortunately, God's evaluations are not based on our skills, but on his grace. So being a wife can be hard. Being a mother, it's hard. And that's okay. My prayer over you ladies has been that God will encourage you and strengthen you for the calling that he's given you. And that he might use my words to spur you on toward love and good deeds starting in your home. So I really wanted to be clever and come up with something like creative. And then I remembered God didn't make me a creative person. So I love acronyms. Um, Richard, do you have my slides? And people, I have not made slides since college. So like last night was an experience. Um, so just have grace, <laughs> have grace for this too. But um, our, our goal is hope. I want you to walk out of here having hope in Christ. And each of these represent, each of these letters represents something different. Heart for H, O is for on target, P is for power, and E is for the enemy of comparison. So let's get started. My children attended a Bible study years ago um, that emphasized catechism songs. It was so great. They were just singing these cute songs all the time. And um, one of the songs said, what is the purpose of my life? Well, that's one to ponder. But the answer is to know God, to love him, serve him, and glorify him. So I found this song coming to my own mind a lot, right? It's like, whoa, I've got a lot of purposes and plans for my day. My ideas for my purpose could include things like loving my husband well by hanging up his clean polos instead of leaving them in the clean hamper for a week. 
personal struggle. I still did it this week. Um, It might look like doing Bible study with my children in the morning before any other tasks got in the way. Or maybe my purpose was giving, um, taking dinner to a friend because she needed extra support. In each of these examples, my purpose is summed up in some form of doing. These are all wonderful things. I should strive to do them. However, my sinful heart looks for my purpose in the things that I'm doing and tries to find its validation there. God is telling me to find my purpose in him. Now, here's the crazy thing. When we find our purpose in Christ, our activities might stay the same, but the heart behind them will be different. I'll no longer just hang up Brian's polos because I want to please him. I will hang them up because I am loving God, and by loving God, I am serving my husband in this way. It it might still mean I'm going to do Bible study with my kids, but my heart behind it is not going to be out of, oh, I'm a Christian mom, and so I have to do Bible study with my kids. Or even worse, if I don't do this, they won't love Jesus. No, my heart will become, I love Jesus. And because I love and delight in Jesus, I want to share that love and delight with them. It might still look like taking a um, a friend a meal because she needs extra support, but my motive in doing it is no longer obligation because it's what I should do. My motive in doing it is glorifying God because he says that we need to build up the church and serve one another in love. Lisa Turkhurst had a friend ask her a very profound question. Are you doing this because you are loved or so that you'll be loved? When our motive for doing things is in an effort to be loved, we are forgetting our identity. We are declaring, actually, that God's grace isn't enough for us, and there's more we have to do. Ladies, Jesus loves us. There's nothing we can do to earn his love. And because we are loved, we now have the purpose of knowing, loving, serving, and glorifying him. These moments, they they might not seem significant to us, right? But they are shaping and building our character to be more like Christ. So how does our heart submitted to Jesus impact the home? You all are important. When our hearts are submitted to Christ, our identity is rooted in him. And then our heartbeat becomes more in sync with Jesus, and our entire home is affected by that rhythm. I've spent a lot of my devotional time recently in First and Second Chronicles, and these, um, these books in the Bible, they sum up the lives of the kings of Judah. The first several verses of each king's story typically states, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or... He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. But I noticed as I was reading that before it declared what his heart was for God, it stated his mother's name. Ladies, this like hit me overwhelmingly and I just like bawled as I recognized this. The woman, the the mother, has an incredible impact on the heart of her child. These women were raising their sons, the future kings of um, Judah, in a harem. 
with multiple wives, concubines, all kinds of children, and yet she had a direct impact on the direction that her child's heart would go. Some of you might say, my husband isn't leading me well. Well, let me tell you, the mother is vitally important to her home. Our identity must be rooted in Jesus and not in the behavior of our children. Hmm. I need to say that again for myself. So it is not in how people perceive our husbands, how they perceive our marriages. We need to live like we are loved by the unshaking and unchanging love of God. Then you're free to love him back. You, you get to know him more. You serve him and you glorify him. And the pressure is removed for people or accomplishments to be your validation. So the heart is so important, and your heart for Jesus is essential for your home. The next one we have is O, on target. This conference is called Arrows and Amber because we desire to aim our children in such a way that they are prepared to know and love Jesus. But the reality is if our aim is off, then we're going to miss the target. So I want us to use this section to check our aim. We went on a bike ride a few weeks ago as a family, something we all really enjoy doing. And as we were in the midst of this bike ride, it was just like I just had this understanding of what an example this was, a family, and God's desire over it. So Brian was in the front leading the way. Everybody else was single file behind him. I was in the very back to go at the pace of our youngest child. Let's be honest, her pace is my pace, so um, I'm, I'm, it's getting worse the older she gets because then I'm slowing down. Um, but anyways, so I was in the back, and I just realized, whoa, this, this is what it's like. Brian was in the front guiding us where we should go. He knew the way. For me, I was in the back, but my role was just as important. From where I was, I could see how everyone was doing. If somebody needed some encouragement, I could holler it out. If somebody needed correction, I could holler it out, and they could all hear me because I was coming from behind. If somebody's shoe needed to be tied, then I could lay back, help let them tie their shoe, and move on with everybody else. If a car was coming, I could holler it out. See, Brian knew where we were going, and so he led. But my role in the back was just as important because I was evaluating the needs of everyone along the way. As the wife, I am working with my husband to help move in the direction that we've decided to go. And as a mother, I'm keeping a watchful eye on the well-being of my children. In Titus 2, 3 through 5, Paul encourages believing women to be reverent in how they live. So we're going to read this together. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home to be kind and subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, don't write off this section saying, ooh, I'm not an older woman. I'm younger, so this doesn't apply. Mm -mm. Ladies, you don't become an older woman who's suddenly living reverently for the Lord. You learn it by daily application. So this word reverent means an appropriate manner for one walking in the presence of God. God desi God's desire is that wherever we walk, 
we should be acting in a way that acknowledges he is present. Inside our homes, within our marriage, within our parenting, is where this must begin. God first says that we are not to be slanderers or false accusers. My question to you is, what is your speech like to your husband and your children? And then, what is your speech like about your husband and your children to other people? Do the things you say about your family respect and honor them? Is it a true thing or are you even exaggerating it because you're feeling emotional or fatigued? This is true of me and I am very grateful that Brian calls me out on it regularly. <laughs> I hate to admit that. This even happened um, several, a couple months ago at a meeting. It was a hard day of parenting. I got to this meeting and I was just fueled up by all my children's failures and I let everybody know all the failures they'd done. And I had to go back and repent because that was not honoring to my children. They are sinners just like me, and they are working and learning just like me, and we need to have grace for that. The thing that really scares me about this is um, the same word that's used in slander here is also used to describe Satan. Girls, check your speech. We do not want to be associated with the enemy right? We want our speech to be such that those within our home are built up and encouraged. This does not mean that you cannot share struggles with others, but you need to wisely choose who to trust with these conversations, and you need to check your own heart in sharing. Are you sharing just because you want to get a load off and complain, or are you sharing because you want somebody to speak truth back to you and help encourage you go in the way that you should? Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, the building, for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Is your speech being used to build up those in your home? Proverbs 20, 18, 21 says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. May we be women who speak life into our homes. I encourage you, think of some positive characteristics of your husband. And then in front of your children, praise him for those things. When your heart is being reverent toward God and the way that you walk, you'll see that your entire home is affected by that rhythm and your husband will also feel loved and respected. So Paul says that by living reverently, we become able to train other women to live like this too so that a new generation of women will be self-controlled, pure, busy at home, kind, and subject to their husbands. Elizabeth Elliot, everything she said was great. But this quote that she has, the process of shaping the child shapes also the mother herself. Reverence for her sacred burden calls her to all that is pure and good that she may teach primarily by her own humble example. The way we stay on target is by keeping our hearts submitted to Jesus and humbly walking in his ways reverently. So let's look at a few of these words a little more closely. Let's first pay attention to the fact that it says, teach the younger women to love their husbands and children. You know, maybe you have discovered that loving them doesn't always come naturally. 
that's okay, all right? So take a breath. If you're like, maybe I'm not called for this. No, if you have a husband or if you have a, ch um, a child, this is your calling, okay? So um, this means that it takes effort and humility. It also says to be busy at home. Now all you working moms, you just got so nervous. No, it does not mean that you have to stay home full time with your children. The phrase actually means looking after your home with prudence and care. This is not talking about having a clean and well-decorated house. And this doesn't mean that all of the housework falls on the woman. It means that she sees a need within her home and she ensures that that need is met. It might not necessarily be met by her. She's able to delegate, but she makes sure that everyone and everything in her home is taken care of. Her home is her priority. Now, the root of this word actually means guard. And I've pondered that a lot. Like, man, what does that mean? That to be busy at home means to guard your home. And for me, I really feel that the most important way we can do that is by praying for our husbands, for our children, for our home, and for everything that takes place within it. The best way we can guard is to be women of prayer. The next phrase says, subject to her husband. You aren't a rug for your man to wipe his feet on. It actually means an, uh, a voluntary attitude of cooperating, carrying a burden. What a gift you are to your husband. Please understand this. You are there to help him carry the load so that he doesn't have to do it alone. If you help him carry it and not try to take it from him and do it for him, he will feel supported and respected. God says that the reason we are to prioritize our home and the people within it is so that no one will malign the word of God. That word malign means to hurt one's reputation through insult. We are to treat our husbands and our children, or, or how we treat our husbands and our children is part of our testimony. And it will have an impact on how the word of God is received by our husband, by our children, and by others within our lives. Our husbands, this is like really important for me to get my own mind around, and Brian even said something earlier um, that I was like, oh yeah, my line would go right there. So our husbands and our children are not interruptions to whatever plans we have. They are invitations to embrace God's plan for the day while releasing our own. I kid you not, I was in a room by myself yesterday, the back of my house, door closed. Anytime my kids would come in, I'm doing this number, you know, I'm like, I'm practicing, I'm here with the spirit. And um, I get to this line and I hear my children screaming at each other to the point where I'm like, ah, I can't ignore that. And I was like, this is an interruption, Lord. This is an interruption. But it wasn't. It was an invitation. You know, in that moment, this preparation was not as important as the character shaping of my children. So please grasp a hold of this. Those interruptions are invitations, and we need to shift our mind in that way. Gloria Furman, I've only read one book that she wrote, but I can now recommend anything that she writes because it was that profound. But she has a quote that says, when I view motherhood not as a gift from God to make me holy, but rather as a role with tasks that get in my way, 
I am missing out of one, on one of God's ordained means of spiritual growth in my life. Not only that, but I'm missing out on enjoying God. Ladies, we need our hearts to find their purpose in Christ. And then we want to live in a way that is on target by walking reverently before God. So our next one is P, power. At the beginning of the year, um, I was actually walking in a whole lot of defeat with my parenting. Uh, the beauty of that is my prayer life is exceptional in those times of difficulty. Uh, so I was spending as much time as I could with the Lord because I needed to be refreshed and renewed. But one um, Saturday, my mom had our kids, and so Brian and I were like, whew, you go do your thing, I'm going to go do mine. And we just spent a lot of time individually with the Lord. And God just met me um, in, these, in, this verse, or in these verses in Second Peter that we're going to be going through. I had no idea that it was intended to not just be for my heart, but to also share with you all. So Second Peter 1.3 is a verse you all probably know. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So do you hear this? If I take the definitions of the Greek words in here and put it together, this is another way it says it. God's almighty energy has given us everything we need for our earthly existence. How encouraging is that? Like, we don't have to be able to come up with it on our own. His almighty power, his almighty energy, sorry, has given us everything we need. Are you in a tough spot in your marriage? God's almighty energy is available to you. Are you weary in your parenting? God will provide you with his energy. Take courage. A verse that I've been preaching to my own heart on a regular basis since the beginning of the year is Psalm 105, verse 4. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Man, I need to constantly be redirected back to him. God doesn't tell us that we have to muster up our own power. Instead, he gives us his power. Now, here's the reality. Sometimes this power is going to look like being curled up on the floor, crying out to God on behalf of your family. Sometimes this power is going to look like going back to your children and repenting to them for the way that you have sinned against them. Sometimes this power might look like responding to your, um, to your husband with um, a soft and gentle tone instead of yelling like, at him like you want to. Sometimes this power will look like seeking out help because you realize you can't carry it on your own. But his power is available to us in every single circumstance we're going to face. In the Second Peter passage, Peter is writing to the believers, giving them counsel to remember it's God's wisdom and God's power that sufficiently provides what is needed for life. Then he lists out ways that we are to grow, and then he gives a warning. So let's read that. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, 
they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So ineffective here, it means free from labor, someone who is at leisure, lazy, shunning the labor they are intended to perform. Unproductive means without fruit, not yielding what it ought to yield. Here is the warning for us. If our hearts are not rooted and growing in Jesus, then we are ignoring the work that God has given us to do. And our lives will be spiritually fruitless. Some of us, in our parenting, in our marriages, in our lives, we're just being lazy. (laughs) Flat out lazy. I call you out if you know that's your heart. We don't want to put the work in to diligently show our children grace or to discipline and train their hearts. We're tired, and we only want to do what's absolutely necessary. Or maybe you're discouraged because you haven't seen fruit, and so you've just given up. On the other hand, some of us are so busy that we're doing things we've defined as good, but it's not bringing about the spiritual fruit God desires for our homes. Our schedules are so packed and we're trying to squeeze Jesus into it and convince everyone else around us that he's our priority when we know in our hearts he's not. And in fact, then we're wanting him to bless us with fruit that we are doing nothing to cultivate. Being ineffective and unproductive are dangerous for our homes. We have to be stirred up to continually fight to keep Jesus as our master Otherwise, we ignore our responsibility, and our children's future is too precious to ignore this. I already mentioned that I've been reading in Second Chronicles, and there's a story of King Amaziah in chapter 25, and it has filled my heart with such alarm. He was a king who followed in the ways of God. And he was going to war against another king. Now, um, this is at the time that Israel and Judah were separate. And um, in Judah, they often followed in the way of the Lord. In Israel, they didn't. But he needed support to go and fight this other enemy, so he hired the Israelite soldiers to come and be his help. Well, God um, came to him through a prophet and said, I have the power to win this victory for you. But if you take these Israelites who don't love me with you, you're not going to win. So Amaziah He allowed it to cost him financially. He still had to pay all these soldiers. He allowed it to produce friction between him and the Israelites because he sent them all home and said, you're not going to fight with us. This was a costly decision, but he stood with God. And he went in and they fought and God gave them victory. And Amaziah went into the temples of the people they conquered, took their idols, brought them back to Judah, and set them up to worship them. (sighs) What on earth? Sorry, I lost my spot. I got all up in that. Um, So (laughs) this is why Peter tells us that we must make every effort to add to our faith. By adding to our faith, we are guarding ourselves against becoming ineffective and unproductive. 
I don't share this to put fear in your hearts, okay? That's not the goal. The goal is to stir you up to be faithful women of God and faith-filled women of God. We have been given God's very power, but it requires relinquishing our own to truly experience his strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Embrace your weakness, because you are ultimately embracing the grace of God. Grace means undeserved We've not done anything to deserve receiving God's power. But praise God, his grace is sufficient for all our needs. So we need to have hearts that allow Jesus to be our priority and our purpose. We need to have lives that are living in such a way that we are on target by walking reverently before God. And... We have power, not our own, but his. And this power stirs us up and gives us the strength to continue to walk faithfully with him. The last section I want to talk about is the enemy of comparison. So we all do it, don't we? We all walked in here today like, ooh, her outfit's cuter than mine. Oh, man, somebody somebody decorated way better than I could. Like, right? We're like, we're doing it. (laughs) So we, we all do it. Now listen, there is beauty and joy in recognizing the gifts God has given other people. The danger becomes when it is a way that we measure um, ourselves and that we don't have contentment in Christ. So sometimes we're satisfied because we realize my outfit is better than theirs. Sometimes we are discouraged because somebody else's skill has shown up ours, and now we feel inferior. So I wanted to take just a few minutes to point out the negative impact. These first three have been all about you, your heart, your home. And now this is for the purpose of us recognizing the way that we interact, especially with other women, is going to also impact our home because it greatly impacts our hearts. So the first reason that comparison is an enemy, I mean, there's like a ton, okay? I just picked out a few. It shifts our focus from God to ourselves, right? If, he, if our purpose is to know, love, serve, and glorify him, we cannot allow the enemy to have victory in this way. It steals our joy, and it blinds us to the blessings in our lives. If we're so focused on what someone else has or is gifting that they have, we're not even able to focus and pay attention to what God has given us and to praise him and thank him for that. It tempts our hearts to put unhealthy pressure on those around us to make us feel and look better to others. Your children, they're going to grow resentful to you if this is the way that they're treated. Or they're going to believe that your love is dependent upon their ability to do something for you. Your husband, he's going to feel inadequate or he's going to get weary from trying to please you. Your happiness will be dependent upon your current mood and not truth. The next reason that I think comparison is an enemy is because it destroys female friendship, 
which we desperately need for spiritual growth and support. I have had a dear friend of mine, we were college roommates, and we have gone through life together, my whole adult life has been with her, um, through so many highs and lows. And um, she is a friend that is trustworthy because when I was experiencing some of my greatest highs, she was experiencing some of her greatest lows, and she rejoiced with me. My child survived through a very unknown birthing experience, her child didn't. And she celebrates, um, our youngest child, she celebrates that kid with such joy and delight. And that's not the only way that she's walked with me through the highs and lows, but that's just one. So I know that I can share anything with her because if I'm grieving, she's a safe place and she's gonna grieve with me. And if I'm celebrating, she's a safe place and she's gonna celebrate with me. And the reason she does that is because her own identity is not threatened by the highs and lows I'm experiencing. She knows who she is, she knows who God created her to be, and so whether it's a high or low for her, she can handle whatever I'm bringing to her. We will all experience highs and lows in life. And the highs will feel way higher if we have people there to celebrate with us. And the lows will feel a lot less lonely if we have their others on our side. Another reason that it's a problem is it causes us to celebrate others' failures and grow in bitter jealousy toward their successes. My mom used to say to Kurt and I all the time, just because I'm praising one of you doesn't mean I'm putting the other one down. Yes, that's exactly what it meant. Or at least that's how we received it. Our pride and insecurity shaped the lens through which we saw one another's successes. It wasn't just a success for somebody else, it was a threat to us. I have a friend with five boys and to guard against sibling competition, they use language in their home to um, encourage a unified perspective on their successes. So if one boy does great, they acknowledge it by celebrating and saying, yes, that's one point for our team. So not, way to go, you, but like, hey, this is a great point for our team. This helps the boys see that each of their individual successes is a blessing for the entire family. Brian uses this same language with me often um, when I am feeling defensive, when we are in a discussion and we have different perspectives. I can get really heated and emotional, and he looks at me and he says, Paige, I am on your side. I am for you. I need that. I need to know in our discussions, disagreements, arguments, we're not against each other. We are both for each other, and we need to come at it from that view. We need people to be for us, and the enemy of comparison steals that support and contentment. Just recently, we realized that there was a rift in sibling relationships within our home, and to honor my children, I'm not gonna say their names, um, so I'm gonna say child A and child B, and that is not in reference to the birth order in my home. So, child A expressed pain that child B was, would say good things about other people and not about them. So at first I dismissed this, um, but then I paid closer attention. I realized she was right. 
Child B was either intentionally saying unkind things or withholding compliments. We talked with child B separately and they confessed that in their heart, they didn't wanna say things that made the other sibling feel good. So Brian encouraged them and challenged them to use their words to build up their sibling. The next day, child B spoke a compliment to child A and the kid's face lit up. All day, child B fought to find ways to encourage that sibling. And by the end of the day, both children were all smiles. I'm not gonna lie, this hasn't necessarily continued, but it is something we are working on, okay? That night when Brian put our kids to bed, he was alone with child B, and they whispered to him, I encouraged her all day, and I really liked it. We do damage to our own hearts when we withhold good from those around us. Proverbs 3.27 says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to act. Let's not give the enemy victory here. We have the freedom to be different from one another. All of you all have walked in like complimenting how great this looks. I can say I helped, but no, all of this was Kaylin's gift of creativity that God has given her, and we've all received a blessing from it. We have the opportunity to celebrate our differences. And if God wanted all of us to be the exact same, he would have made us clones. But he didn't. He made us people. Praise God, we are all different parts of the same body, and we need each other. We are allowed to be different, but let's support, love, and encourage one another in those differences instead of comparing ourselves on a level of above or below. Now, um, I decided at the very end I wanted to add something else. So it's practical application, but HOPEP isn't a word. So we're just going to stick with the first acronym of HOPE, and then we're just going to add in point five as its own separate thing. So I've got to be quick with these. But in my opinion, these are the best gifts that you can give your home. And really, there are a ton, but I'm going to summarize. Be a woman of prayer. Bring everything to God in prayer. The good things. Let's not forget to praise him, people. First, I have to say this to my kids often because they want to go into prayer and they want to um, tell God the things that are needed for the day. First, praise God for who he is. Then thank him for what he's done before going in to the needs of your heart. Praise God for the small things throughout the day and point these out to your children. My mom is exceptional at this. She would find all sorts of things to praise God for, and because she was looking, it was easy to find. So may we do that for our children. When you find yourself overwhelmed and you don't know what, how to respond in the moment, don't react. Hit your knees in prayer. If your kid is yelling in your face, and you are feeling the yelling rising up in your heart, but instead you get on your knees and you start praying over that child, whew, that's a completely different impact than yelling back at them. Pray over each child individually. If you have multiple children, it's easy to pray over them as a whole um, or to pray for just the one who is currently struggling the most. We can miss out on their unique individual strengths or struggles. And so make sure to bring each child to Christ individually. And the two main passages that I pray over my children are Ezekiel 11, 18 through 20, and Colossians 1, 9 through 14. 
The second thing goes along with what Brian said, be a repentant woman. Part of being human means you're going to mess up. We are first, we first and foremost must repent to God, but it's so important for our children to see us repent to them as well. This humbles my own heart, and it also shows my children that they too can sin and that God's grace is available to them. Be a woman who builds others up in her conduct and speech, both within her home and outside of it. Call out the strengths of those around you. Praise God in front of others for the giftings that you see in them. Like, for example, with your kids, you could say, I praise God for letting you see that need and giving you the wisdom to know how to respond to it. That lets them see it's not just their own strength. It was God's kindness to them. Fight jealousy and comparison by celebrating the gifts you see in others and sincerely pray blessings over them. Whatever, um, Paul David Tripp says this, Whatever important thing rules your heart also shapes your words and behavior. The next thing, be a woman who enjoys Jesus and enjoys her family. Make your schedule prioritize Jesus both individually and as a family. Like Brian was making excellent points, right? Like it's not always the sit down moments, but at the same time, if we don't plan things, it's not going to happen. Set aside intentional time to savor these relationships. Prioritize your marriage. Make sure your kids see and know that your husband is loved and respected by you. Give them a sense of security by striving toward a healthy relationship. Brian and I are both pretty affectionate in front of our kids, and whenever we kiss, they're like, ew. You know, it's, it, it's because seeing us respond together in that way gives them confidence and security that they are in a safe place. Brian and I also, we like to plan getaways. He mentioned one. Like, that's been important for us and our personalities to have time just alone together so we can remember, like, I really enjoy you. Another thing for me, I homeschool, so I'm with my kids all day and all night. And sometimes it just feels really long, and I can forget to be fun because there's so much we have to do. So something that I found, especially this year, that's really important for me is to switch up our routine and to go on field trips. Whenever my kids and I go on field trips, we all love it, like me probably most of all. Getting to learn in a different environment where I'm not the one teaching, it's just so fun. Um, but it, I have found it is completely shaped my energy level for my at-home schooling time and my enjoyment of them in the evenings too. Now here's the big one. Invite your children to enjoy Jesus with you. My mom did this so well. From the time I was 12, I started being invited into adult women Bible studies. And my mom said as long as I would do the homework necessary to participate in the discussion, I was welcome to be there. That was incredibly impactful for me because I was getting to hear life experience from all kinds of women, whether they followed the Lord and what happened or whether they didn't and what happened. And what a gift that was to my own spiritual life. So be a woman who invites your children in to enjoy Christ with you. Some simple things can be like 
blaring Christian music and singing together. Chelsea and I took our kids to a concert recently, and um, we have like fallen in love with Torin Wells. And if you come over to my house, it is like blaring, not all the time, but there are moments where it's like, we just need some Torin Wells. So we put him on, and buddy, it is blaring, and we are singing and shouting because we're worshiping together. We're enjoying the words that God has given Torin, and we're celebrating. Um, another thing can be just sharing with your kids what you've learned. Like all the being in Second Chronicles, woo, this has been really easy. I'm like, guys, you're never gonna believe what I read today. Like just talking with them about what you are learning is so important because then they see that your enjoyment of Jesus is sincere and not just a spiritual practice. The last thing is be a woman of grace who extends grace to others. Um, let your home be a climate of grace where there's the freedom to fail, the freedom to mess up, but that your love for them is not going to change. Okay, that yes, you're going to discipline because you love them. God's word says he disciplines those he loves, okay? But we want to have a home and a space where their value in our home is not measured upon their behavior. And then if they mess up, it's okay because God's grace is available to them. And then also that they have the freedom to fail. Where do we want them to mess up? in our homes, right? Like, let them do it now so they can learn, so don't resent that. I have a child who, like, takes failure to heart, and um, something I often say to this kid in the midst of, like, feeling just defeated and, like, oh, it's not even worth trying anymore, I'm like, listen, this was a moment of failure. This does not define who you are, and let me tell you what I believe about who you will become. They need that encouragement, and we want to be in an environment where they have the space to fail. So our acronym is HOPE. Not hope in your husband, not hope in your children, not hope in your ability to be the best at something, but hope in Jesus. Ultimately, the best gift, I think, that you can give your home is being a woman who loves the Lord her God with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength, and who invites her family along with her on the journey. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you, God. We need you, Lord. This task can feel so overwhelming, and we want to be the ones that like feel like we failed and messed up. But God, your grace is sufficient. Your power is available, and our hope is in you and not how well we've done. And so, God, we lay our hearts before you. We say have glory in our lives, have victory within us for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of the next generation that we are raising. God, be glorified in these women. May you truly be the masters and the loves of their life. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.